0: Matthew chapter 11 verses 1 through 24 verse 1 And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Burkett notes Our blessed Savior having sent forth his twelve apostles in the foregoing chapter to plant and propagate the gospel, we find him in this chapter following them himself in that great and necessary work. He departed to teach and to preach in their cities. Christ, the great bishop and shepherd of souls, sent not forth the apostles as his curates to labor and sweat in the vineyard while he took his ease at home, but he followed them himself. His word of command to them was, Go ye before, I will follow after. Note 1. that preaching of the gospel is a great and necessary work. Incumbent upon all the ministers of Christ, let their dignity and preeminency in the church be what it will. None of the servants are above their Lord. 2. That if there be a distinction betwixt teaching and preaching, as some apprehend, they are both the work of Christ's ministers, who are obliged, from their master's example, to perform both. Teaching is in order to the conversion of sinners, and preaching in order to the edification of saints. Verses 2 and 3. Now when John had heard in the prison of the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Burkett notes, It was not for John's information that he sent his disciples to Jesus, but for their satisfaction that he was the true and promised Messiah. John was assured of it himself by a sign from heaven at our Savior's baptism. Chapter 3.17 But John's disciples out of great zeal to him as their master, envied Christ himself, and were unwilling to believe any person greater than their master. Therefore, John, out of a pious design to confirm his disciples in their belief of Jesus being the true Messiah, sends them to our Savior to hear the doctrine which he taught and to see the miracles which he wrought. Learn, hence, what a pious desire there is in such as know Christ experimentally themselves, to bring all that belonged to them to a saving acquaintance with him. Archbishop Tiltutzen, Volume 5, Verses 4 and 5 <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. <laughs> Burkett Notes Observe here, one, the way and means which our Savior takes for the conviction and satisfaction of John's disciples, that he was the true Messiah. He appeals to the miracles wrought by himself, and submits the miracles wrought by him to the judgment of their sense. Go and show John the miracles which you hear and see. Observe, two, the miracles themselves. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, etc., Christ was all this in a literal sense, and in a mystical sense also. He was an eye of understanding to the ignorant, a foot of power to the weak. He opened an ear in deaf hearts to receive the word of life. And the poor are evangelized, that is, turned into the spirit and temper of the gospel. The rich hear the gospel, but the poor receive it. That is, they feel the powerful impressions of it. As we say, such a one is Italianized when his carriage is such as if he were a natural Italian. The passive verb denotes not the act of preaching, but the feeling of being preached, the good effect which the gospel had upon the hearts and lives of the poor, transforming them into the likeness of itself. Learn, it's a blessed thing when the preaching of gospel has such a powerful influence upon the minds of men that the temper of their minds and the action of their lives are a lively transcript of the spirit and temper of the Holy Jesus. Note that as it was prophesied of the Messiah that he should preach the gospel to the poor, Isaiah 61, one. Accordingly, they were the poor with whom Christ preached unto, for the Pharisees and rabbis neglected them as the people of the earth. John 7.49. And Grotius says that they had a proverb that the Spirit of God never rests but upon a rich man. Besides, the Pharisees and Rabbis' doctrines which they preached were vain traditions, allegorical interpretations, and cabalistical deductions, which transcended the capacity of the vulgar, so that they could profit very little by repairing to the schools and by hearing their interpretations of the law. And therefore, our Savior, in the close of this chapter, calls the people off from them to learn of Him. Verse 28, Come unto me, etc. Verse 6. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Burkett notes, Our Savior here, by pronouncing them blessed that are not offended in him, doth intimate the misery of those who stumble at him, and to whom he is a rock of offense. Some are offended at the poverty of his person. Others are offended at the sublimity and sanctity of his doctrine. Some are offended at his cross. Others are offended at his free grace. But such as, instead of being offended at Christ, believe in him, and bottom their expectations of heaven and salvation upon him, are in a happy and blessed condition. Blessed is he that shall not be offended in me. Verses 7-10 through 10. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went out ye for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Burkett notes. Our Savior, having given satisfaction to John's disciples... Next enters upon a large commendation of John himself, or observe one, the person whom he commended him before, not John's own disciples, for they had too high an opinion of their master already, and were so much addicted to John that they envied Christ for his sake. See John three twenty-six. Behold, Christ baptize us, and all men come unto him. It was a great eyesore that Christ had more hearers and followers than John. Therefore, not before John's disciples, but before the multitude Christ commends John. For as John's disciples had too high, so the multitude had too low an opinion of him, possibly because of his imprisonment and sufferings. There was a time when the people had high thoughts of John, but now they undervalued him. Learn, thence, the great uncertainty of popular applause. The people condemn today whom they admired yesterday. He who today is cried up, tomorrow is trodden down. The word and the ministers are the same, but this proceeds from the fickleness and inconstancy of the people. Nothing is so mutable as the mind of man, nothing so variable as the opinion of the multitude. Observe, too, the time when our Savior thus commended John, not in the time of his prosperity and greatness, when the people flocked after him, and Herod got him to court and reverenced him, but when the giddy multitude had forsaken him, and he was fallen into disgrace at court, and had preached himself into prison. Now Christ vindicates his innocency, maintains his honor, proclaims his worth, and tells the people that the world was not worthy of such a preacher as John was. Learn, thence, that Christ will stand by and stick fast to his faithful ministers when all the world forsake them. Let the world slight and despise them at their pleasure, yet Christ will maintain their honor and support their cause. As they bear a faithful witness to Christ, so Christ will bear witness to their faithfulness for him. Observe 2, the commendation itself. Our Savior commends John 1, for his constancy. He was not a reed shaken with the wind, that is, a man of unstable and unsettled judgment, but fixed and steadfast. 2, for his sobriety and high measure of mortification. He was no delicate, voluptuous person, but grave, sober, and severe. He was mortified to the glory and honor, to the ease and pleasures of the world. John wrought no miracles, but his holy conversation was as effectual as miracles to prevail with the people. 3. For his humility. He might have been what he would. The people were ready to cry him up for the Messiah, the Christ of God but John's lowly spirit refuses all. He confessed and denied not, saying, I am not the Christ, but a poor minister of his, willing but not worthy to do him service. This will commend our ministry to the conscience of our people, when we seek not our own glory, but the glory of Christ. 4. Our Savior commends John for his clear preaching and revealing of Christ to the people. He was more than a prophet. Verse 9 because he pointed out Christ more clearly and fully than any before him. The ancient prophets saw Christ afar off. John beheld him face to face. They prophesied of him. He pointed at him, saying, This is he. Whence learn that the clearer any ministry is in discovering of Christ, the more excellent it is. Verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Burkett notes, Our Savior, having highly commended John in the foregoing verses, here sets bounds to the honors of his ministry, adding that though John was greater than all the prophets that went before him, seeing more of Christ than all of them, yet he saw less than them that came after him. The meanest evangelical minister that preaches Christ come is to be preferred before all the old prophets who prophesied of Christ to come. That minister who sets forth the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is greater in the kingdom of heaven, that is, has a higher office in the church and a more excellent ministry than all the prophets, yea, than John himself. The excellency of the ministry consists in the light and clearness of it, Now though John's light did exceed all that went before him, yet it fell short of them that came after him. And thus, he that was least in the kingdom of grace on earth, much more he that is least in the kingdom of glory in heaven, was greater than John. Not that the meanest Christian, but the meanest evangelical prophet, or preacher of the Christian doctrine, is greater than John, partly in respect of his doctrine, which is more spiritual and heavenly, partly in respect of his office, which was to preach Christ crucified and risen again, and partly in respect of his divine assistance. For John did no miracles, but the apostles that succeeded him went forth, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Add to this that the Holy Ghost fell not upon John, and he spake not by any extraordinary inspiration of the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, as the apostles did. And thus, He that was the least in the kingdom of heaven was greater than John. Verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Burkett notes, Our Savior goes on in commending John's ministry from the great success of it. It had that powerful influence upon the consciences of men, that no soldiers were ever more violent and eager in the storming and taking of a stronghold than John's hearers were in pursuing the kingdom of heaven. Never any minister before discovered the Messiah and his kingdom so clearly as John did, and therefore never was there such zeal to press into the kingdom of heaven amongst any as the hearers of John had. Learn hence, one, that the clearer knowledge any people have of the worth and excellency of heaven, the more will their zeal be inflamed in the pursuit of heaven. Two, that all that do, intend, and resolve for heaven must offer violence in the taking of it. None but the violent are victorious. They take it by force. Which words are both restrictive and promisive? They are the violent, and none other that take it. And all the violent shall take it. Though careless endeavors may prove abortive, rigorous prosecution shall not miscarry. There is also another exposition of these words, the violent take the kingdom of heaven by force. That is the publicans and sinners, and the poor sort of people who were well looked upon by the scribes and Pharisees as persons who had no right to the blessings of the Messiah. These, as violent invaders and bold intruders, embrace the gospel and do, as it were, take it by force from the learned rabbis who challenge the chiefest place in the kingdom. And accordingly, our Savior tells them, St. Matthew twenty-one thirty-one: The publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you, for you believe not John's coming to you in the way of righteousness, but the publicans and harlots believed him, when at the same time the Pharisees and lawyers rejected him, etc., not being baptized of him. Verses thirteen through fifteen. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Burkett notes Here is still farther a commendation of John. The law and the prophets till the coming of John did foretell the Messiah, but not so determinedly, not so nearly, not so clearly as John did. And accordingly, he was that Elijah, which Isaiah and Malachi foretold should be the harbinger and forerunner of Christ. But why hath John the Baptist the name Elijah? Possibly because they were alike zealous in the work of God. They were alike Successful in that work, and they were alike prosecuted for their work, the one by Jezebel, the other by Herodias. Verses 16 through 19 But whereon shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets, and calling unto their fellows, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced, we have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous, and a winebibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. Burkett notes, Our Savior in these words describes the perverse humor of the Pharisees whom nothing could allure to the embracing of the gospel, neither John's ministry nor Christ's. This our Savior sets forth two ways. One, allegorically, Verse 16, Properly. Verse 18, 19. By way of allegory, he compares them to sullen children, whom nothing would please, neither mirth nor mourning. If their fellows piped before them, they would not dance. If they sung mournful songs to them, they would not lament. That is, the Pharisees were of such a censorious and capricious humor that God himself could not please them, though he used a variety of means and methods in order to that end neither the delightful arts of mercy nor the doleful ditties of judgment could affect or move their hearts. Next, our Lord plainly interprets this allegory by telling them that John came to them neither eating nor drinking, that is, not so freely and plentifully as other men, being a very austere and mortified man, both in his diet and in his habit. And all this was designed by God That the austerity of his life and severity of his doctrine might awaken the pharisee to repentance but instead of this they censured him for having a devil because he delighted in solitude and avoided converse with men according to the ancient proverb that every solitary person is either an angel or a devil either a wild beast or a god john being thus rejected christ himself comes to them who being of free and familiar converse not shunning the society of the worst of men, even the Pharisees themselves, but complying with their customs and companying with them at their feasts, yet without the least compliance with them and their sins. But the freedom of our Saviour's conversation displeases them as much as John's reservedness of temper, for they cry, Behold, a man gluttonous, Christ's affability towards sinners they call approbation of their sins and his sociable disposition, looseness, and luxury. Learn hence, one, that the faithful and zealous ministers of God, let their temper and converse be what it will, cannot please the enemies of religion and the haters of the power of godliness. Neither John's austerity nor Christ's familiarity would gain upon the Pharisees. It is our duty in the course of our ministry to seek to please all men for their good, but after all our endeavors to please all, we shall please but very few. But if God and conscience be of the number of those few, we are safe and happy. Observe, too, that it has been the old policy of the devil that he might hinder the success of the gospel, to fill the minds of persons with an invincible prejudice against the ministers and dispensers of the gospel. Three, that after all the scandalous reproaches cast upon religion and the ministers of it, such as are wisdom's children, wise and good men, will justify religion, that is, approve it in their judgments, honor it in their discourses, and adorn it in their lives. Wisdom is justified of her children. Verses 20-22 Then began he to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Bethesda, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Burkett notes, Our Savior, having gone through the cities of Galilee, preaching the doctrine of repentance and confirming his doctrine with miracles, and finding multitudes after all his endeavors remained in their impenitence, he proceeds to upbraid them severely, for that their contempt of gospel grace. Then he began to upbraid the cities, etc. Where observe one, The cities abraded, Chorazin, Bethesda, and Capernaum. In their pulpits he daily preached, and those places were the theatres upon which his miracles were wrought. Other cities only heard, these saw, but where he preached most, he prevailed least. Like some fishermen, he catched least in his own pond. Observe, too, what he abrades them for, not for disrespect to his person, but for disobedience to his doctrine, because they repented not. The great design of Christ, both in the doctrines which he preached and in the miracles which he wrought, was to bring men to repentance, that is, to forsake their sins and live well. Observe three, whom he abrades them with, Tyre and Sidon, Sodom and Gomorrah, nations rude and barbarous, out of the pale of the church, ignorant of a Savior and the way of salvation by him. Learn that the higher a people rise under the means, the lower they will fall if they miscarry. They that have been nearest to conversion and yet not converted shall have the greatest condemnation when they are judged. Capernaum's sentence shall exceed Sodom's for severity, because she exceeded Sodom in the enjoyment of means and mercy. The case of those who are impenitent unto the gospel is of all others the most dangerous, and their damnation shall be heaviest and most severe. Sodom, the stain of mankind, a city soaked in the dregs of villainy, yet this hell upon earth shall have a milder hell at the last day of judgment than unbelieving Capernaum, as the next verse informs us. Verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works, such as have been done in thee, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Burkett notes. This city, lying under greater guilt than the rest, Christ names it by itself, without the rest. Nay, he doth not only name it, but notifies it as being lifted up to heaven by signal favors and privileges, namely Christ's presence, Christ's preaching, and Christ's miracles. Observe 1. Capernaum's privileges enjoyed, though a poor obscure place in itself, Yet she was by the person, ministry, and miracles of Christ lifted up to heaven. Learn thence that gospel ordinances and church privileges enjoyed are a mighty honor and advancement to the poorest person in obscurest places. Observe too, a heavy doom denounced, Thou shalt be brought down to hell. That is, thy condition shall be as sad as that of the worst of men, for thy near proficiency under the means enjoined. Learn thence, That gospel ordinances and church privileges enjoyed, but not improved, provoke Almighty God to inflict the sorest of judgments upon a people. Thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. Verse 24. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, that there shall be a day of judgment. 2. That in the day of judgment, some sinners shall fare worse than others. There are degrees of punishment among the damned. 3. That the worst of heathens, who never heard of the Savior, nor ever had an offer of salvation by him, shall fare better in the day of judgment than those that continue impenitent under the gospel. Christ here avouches that Capernaum's sentence shall exceed Sodom's for severity.